Oh, good morning, friends, and welcome to Second Service here this morning. He is here in our presence. Jesus said, whenever two or more of you come together, I will be there in your midst. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing to think about. And you say, well, I don't see him. As you learn to worship, you will. You'll see him. You'll sense him just as real as the person standing next to you. Because that's what worship does to us. It's great to see you this morning. You know, I, I, I want to piggyback a little bit on that hymn we sang, How Great Thou Art, just for a moment. And I want to pray with you. Um, you know, that song beautifully moves from pointing out, you know, the stars and the galaxies and nature and all the earth and everything in it that God created and says, how great thou art. Yes, absolutely. But then, then it takes the next step. When I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to take away my sins. Church, the greatest greatness of our God is in that moment he chooses to sacrifice because he loves us. You know, Revelation tells us that no one in all of heaven was found worthy except the lamb that was slain. Not the lion of the tribe of Judah, not the kings who conquered, not the heroes who won renown, the lamb who was slain. And the greatness of our God is that he rescues us, that he redeems sinners, that he loves and seeks to save his enemies. That's his greatness. Now, we live in a world that can't know that because it won't call sin, sin. See, who needs a savior when you don't have any sins? But it's when we confess our sins that we find out who he is, how great he is. And that's, that's the tragedy of that awful place where we're trying not to call sin, sin. And so it behooves us to pray for our world that doesn't know who he is. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Let's pray together. God, we come to you this morning thinking of those who don't know your grace, Lord, thinking of those who don't know your greatness, how great you are, how good you are, how full of love for us you are. God, we pray, help us to be the kind of people that speak your truth to them, God. Help our land to discover a spirit of repentance and to say, boy, it is sin, it is sin, and I confess my sins. God, all, all the power we need is in that moment when we confess our sins and receive you as our Savior. So send us out as your ambassadors, God. Send us into one another's lives as encouragers, as people who speak truth. We pray for that. We ask for a healing of our land and know it comes from the Spirit. So we yield ourselves to you. How great you are. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All the power our world needs is right there. You know, before we uh, share a few announcements and uh, open God's Word together, I, I have to ask you to bear with me a little bit this morning. Uh, this week, I got that cold that's been going around, and I am like sicker than a dog. <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of energy. Um, I'm standing by faith. Faith and Dayquil, that's a good combination, right? You put those two things together. So uh, bear with me a little bit this morning as we open God's Word together. And those of you online as well, thank you for your patience. A few quick announcements. Uh, one of them is that um, this Wednesday, with it being graduation and everything that's going on, our Wednesday night activities won't be happening. So Impact and Forged and Youth Group, all that stuff that happens on Wednesday night, that won't be happening this 
this weekend or this Wednesday because of graduation. So just be aware of that. Uh, if you come down, we won't be here. <laughs> um, but you know, kind of on a side note, as this as this children's building gets finished, as we move into September, October, somewhere in there. When it gets finished, we'll be able to renew our Wednesday night adult Bible study, which we haven't been able to do for several years because we have so many kids that come to Impact and Forge. So we're looking forward to that. It's going to be a neat time to have that extra space. So anyway, this Wednesday, no Wednesday night activities. Um, as well, we're coming up on Kids Camp. Uh, they're heading out the 26th to the 29th of June over to Medical Lake for just a powerful time. Kids camp is a unique time when God moves in the lives of our, our kids. And if you haven't gotten your son or daughter, your grandson, granddaughter signed up, we need to do that right away. Kind of running out of time, running up against deadlines. We'd love to get your kids enrolled in camp. They're going to head out on a Monday, come back on a Thursday evening. Terrific time every year. So uh, contact the church office. Uh, Scan the Q code on QR code on the seat in front of you. Or stop by the guest center. We'll get you going on on all of that. And then youth camp coming up just about four weeks after that for teenagers in July. Same story. It's not too soon to get kids signed up for that. Um, next Sunday is Father's Day, and we call it Dads and Grads Day because it's all also graduation Sunday. We will be celebrating the seniors who are graduating from, from high school this year. And, and so we've collected a lot of photographs of them, but if somehow we've missed you, please contact us this week if you have a graduating senior that somehow we overlooked or missed. We, we want a picture of them when they were a baby or a toddler and then a picture of them now so we can see the joy of that transformation. And we're going to be sharing those next uh, Sunday morning. So uh, dads and grads next week, uh, if you haven't got that picture to us, please do. Uh, last thing, uh, next Monday is our uh, final Band of Brothers men's dinner for the summer. We always take a July-August break. So a Band of Brothers will be happening a week from tomorrow uh, here in the Sanctuary Fellows for men's, uh, men's dinner. Grab your Bible, if you would, please, and open it to Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, the second half of Luke's Gospel, beginning with verse 46. And we're going to, this morning, uh, continue our road trip with the Lord. Remember, this is about discerning kind of the deep fake Jesuses that are out there in our world that he warned us about, and the real one. And it's not a difficult distinction. We just have to pay attention. And so we gave ourselves to Luke's gospel this year to walk through every part of that story. And this morning, we're in chapter 8, beginning with verse 46. And let me begin by saying this. Ra raise your hand if you just absolutely look forward to waiting on hold on your phone. <laughs> You know, or, or, or to waiting in line at the DMV. Who's in favor of waiting in line at the DMV? Yeah, like nobody ever. Uh, we, we actually loathe and despise waiting. <laughs> All of us do it. And, 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 and the reason for that is, you know, we think we're running out of time. And, and so when we have to wait or we have to go on hold, we feel like we're losing something. We feel like we're missing something. But, you know, the key to waiting well is knowing what you're waiting for. Because when you know that, boy, it's a lot easier. It's kind of an anticipatory thing instead of a slog. I like to tell the story when our son was about five years old and we headed out on a, on a trip to go to Disneyland. Never been before. This is going to be his first time. Another family went with us. He and their daughter were best friends. And so we were going to head down to Disneyland to spend a whole uh, week there in Southern California, several days in Disneyland. And, you know, we told him about it, he was excited about it. But the problem was, is that when we got ready to leave town on the day we were heading out, 
One of those little podunk traveling carnivals had just pulled in to the mall there in Moscow, Idaho. You know, the one that has like five rides and one popcorn stand, one cotton candy stand, and you're not sure it's safe, one of those kind of carnivals, you know. Had just set up in the parking lot, and and Isaiah, our son, saw, Dad, Ma, I want to go, I want to go. We said, no, son, we're not going there. We're going to another one. Oh, my goodness. He was upset. He was, So we're heading out on our Disneyland vacation, and he's bawling. <laughs> you know, he's crying. And as a dad, as you would have as a mom or dad, you desperately wish you could, you could somehow get inside of them and show them, oh, what's coming is going to make this look like nothing. <laughs> you know, what, what's ahead on this trip is worth waiting for, and it's worth leaving that behind. But boy, did he struggle in that moment. In the same way, church, God wants us to pay attention to what he's saying so that we can look forward eagerly and patiently. Here's what the Bible says about this. It says in Hebrews chapter 11 that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, what we do not yet see, we might say. Without faith... It's impossible to please God. Why is that? We'll talk about that in a moment. Because anyone who comes to him must not only believe that he exists, of course, but that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Why is it impossible to please God without faith? Well, any parent intuitively understands this. We can't please him unless we rest in what he says, just like we want our kids to rest in what they're, we're telling them, just like we want them to trust us so they can be at rest in their hearts. God desires that we should believe and trust what he says. Let me ask you this morning, do you believe that he earnestly desires to reward you? You know, a lot of people hesitate to grasp that idea, but the Bible says that unless we understand that, unless we believe that, unless we know that, we can't please God down deep. We can't please him in his father heart. He wants us to rest in what he says. He wants us to feel, to put it another way, he wants us to feel that what's ahead will more than make up for whatever we surrender. In the meantime, Isaiah had to let go of the carnival, but Disneyland was ahead. I think of our dog, Ellie. She's 10 years old, little border collie. She loves nothing more in the world than chasing her frisbee or the tennis ball. <laughs> And if you come to our house and she brings you one of those and you make the mistake of throwing it, you are now stuck for the rest of the day because she will not get tired of it. But the the funny thing is that it has taken her 10 years of her life to get over her disinclination to give the ball back once she's got it. (laughs) You know, it's hilarious. She wants nothing more than you to throw the ball. So you huck it, she runs and chases or the Frisbee. She brings it back, you know, wow, my world is great. And then you reach for it and she backs away (laughs) because now she doesn't want to give it up. Even though her giving it up is the key to experiencing what she wants to experience is you throwing it again. And to watch that struggle go on in her life is hilarious and a little bit sad because she's just got to give it up and I'll throw it again. Sometimes we're like that. Sometimes God says, hey, I want want you to let go of this for a while. We, I can't let go of this. This is everything I want. No, what you really want comes when you let go of this for a little while. 
We're going to explore that whole idea this morning in the scriptures because God wants us to rest in faith in what he says. So Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 40. Let's walk through this together. The scripture says, Now when Jesus returned from, from the incident, casting the demon out of the guy, we talked about it last week, all that went with it. When Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. They were looking forward to him coming back, teaching again, ministering again. And, and a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Why? Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Oh, my goodness. There is nothing more awful than when something happens to your kids. There is nothing that hurts deeper than when your kids are in danger. And all of us who are moms and dads, we know we would give anything to escape that kind of thing. You know, because no pain is deeper than the loss of a child, God tells us the story of his love for us through a father losing a son. And this man is living that. This man is feeling that. As a matter of fact, we're going to find out that not only is she very sick, she's at death's door. We're not talking about days or weeks. We're talking about hours and minutes. And this man, Jairus, comes and he cries out to Jesus to heal his daughter. What do we know about him? Well, we know a few things. We know, first of all, he's a man of faith. Scripture says he's a ruler in the local synagogue. He's a leader in the local church. That means that he has gotten honest enough with himself to admit that God is there and to seek to live in relationship with him. This is, a, this is a man of faith. This is not someone who is pretending. This is not someone who is rejecting what's self-evident. This is a guy who believes. And he comes to Jesus and he cries out and he pleads with him because his only daughter, his only child, a girl of about 12, is at death's door. It's heart-rending to imagine what he was feeling and thinking. I've been in rooms where people were dealing with this kind of thing, and I can tell you that it will devastate you. It, it will rip your heart out to see it on somebody else's face. Mm, overwhelming. Jairus is feeling that in this moment. You know, sometimes we foolishly imagine that people of faith never suffer. What a silly thing for followers of Jesus to think, given that he went to the cross and calls us to take one up and follow him in the same way. Given that the Bible tells us he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Given that the prophets repeatedly pointed to him as the suffering servant. How silly is it to think that somehow faith is a shield against suffering? It's not for this man. And this man's pleading, his coming to Jesus, is also a sign of health. Let me explain. You've got some people in your life that you are comfortable asking things from, and you've got a long list of people that you know that you're acquainted with that you're not comfortable asking things from. And you, you know the difference between those two groups of people. Some you would approach and ask for almost anything. You would ask them to help you move. You'd ask them to help you install an appliance, you know, whatever. You'd be good with it. But, but others, you wouldn't. This man has that kind of relationship with God. He's willing to ask. Are you willing to ask? You know, part of this story is understanding that God delights in your asking. 
that he wants your asking, that you don't somehow gain secret approval from him by saying, God, I'm not going to bother you. Not at all. God delights in our asking, and this man feels that he can. Children in healthy parent-child relationships, they tell us, ask for things. It's their nature. It means that they know that they're loved. But lots of people don't pray. Lots of people don't ask. And, and there's a few reasons for that. Maybe, maybe they feel like they don't know how. You know, if we fall into the trap of thinking that, that talking to God is a matter of the right method or technique or ritual or doing it certain words, certain way, then, then we don't understand who he is. Don't understand that. You don't, you're not that way with your kids. Why would he be that way with us? But some people are, are caught in that idea. Maybe, maybe they're just lazy. James says that some people just don't receive because they don't ask. They don't have because they never get around to it. They're too consumed by other appetites, other desires to really get serious about asking. But then there's those people that are hurt or angry or, or confused or blaming God for what they're going through. And this man could very easily fall into that category. The Bible teaches us that there are some specific reasons for unanswered prayer. If you've experienced unanswered prayer before, the Bible says there may be a diagnosis here. First of all, the scripture says that, that sometimes prayers don't go answered because they're offered from impure motives. James says, you ask just so you can spend what you get on your pleasures. You know, the truth is, as a mom, as a dad, this parent thing is throughout. You know when your kids are just being selfish, and you know it's not good for them. And so sometimes when they're just being that way, you'll say no. God's the same way, the Bible tells us, sometimes. Other times it's because of persistent, willful sin. Isaiah chapter 1, God says to Israel, I'm going to plug up my ears and hide my eyes from you because even though you offer up songs of worship and even though you go to the temple, you're also in your heart in rebellion and doing what you want and not listening to me and not letting me teach you. So God says, you know, where there's that hardness, he says, yeah, I'll close my ears, I'll hide my eyes. Surprisingly, men, the Bible also tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, that if we treat our wives disrespectfully, it'll hinder our prayers. That's amazing that that's a specific teaching in God's word. If you're a husband, understand this. When you relate to your wife, you're relating to his daughter. <laughs> and to treat her with respect, love, yeah, that's a non-negotiable in his eyes. But, but none of those things are happening here. Instead, something else is happening. A desperate dad is offering his heart's cry to the Son of God. And the, the scripture says that when Jesus heard him, he immediately went with him. He says, yes, I will come and heal your daughter. And he started on the way to Jairus's house. But that's where the story continues. Verse 47 says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Imagine a, a packed football stadium-style crowd in Jerusalem. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. A woman who had prayed, who had asked, but who had not yet experienced an answer to her prayer, who was suffering in the same kind of way that we just talked about. And she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately, 
her bleeding stopped. The scholars tell us that she came up behind him for a couple of reasons. One was the, probably the issue of blood that she had under Old Testament Levitical covenant meant that she wasn't supposed to be out in public. She wasn't supposed to be out with that kind of infectious condition. She was nevertheless out in the crowd with it. Also, in that culture, it wasn't acceptable for a woman to approach a man of authority, especially spiritual authority. And so maybe she didn't want to be noticed. She was kind of sneaking up, but she believed in him. And she asked, and she reached out, and she received her healing. And that's where the story gets interesting in two ways. The scripture says that Jesus said immediately when she did this, who touched me? Now, some of us say, well, he's God, doesn't he know? Well, let's remember that when God became a human being in Christ, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that he set aside his prerogatives. He laid aside his glory, and he entered our world just like us, like a human being as a human being. And so Jesus has laid aside some of those prerogatives. So like anybody in a crowd, he knows something's happened. But he says, who was that? Who did that? Who touched me? And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the, the people are crowding and pressing against you. In other words, are you kidding? Jesus says, no, this was different. This was somebody reaching out to me for my power, for my healing. No, this is different and he says, I know that someone touched me and that power has gone out for me. Now, I want to ask us to think for a moment about what this stop, this halt, this pause, this delay felt like to the dad, to Jairus. He knows his daughter's life is hanging by a thread. It's a matter of minutes. And Jesus stops in the middle of the crowd and asks what could from the outside seem like a really silly question. Somebody touched you? Are you kidding? And can you imagine what Jairus is? We can't stop. No, no, okay, somebody touch you, whatever, let's go. My daughter is on her deathbed, but Jesus stops anyway. And he seems intent, he seems focused on, he persists. Who touched me? I know somebody did. And the scripture goes on to tell us that, that the woman, seeing that the crowd that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then Jesus does something amazing. He reveals why he was so hung up about this. He says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Daughter. He says, you're not just a number to me. You're not just a statistic. You're not just another tick in the healing process. You're not just one more story. You are my daughter. He stopped because he wanted her to know that what God wanted with her was not just a transactional relationship. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You do this, I'll do that. God wanted much more than that. He wanted her to know him as father. And it mattered so much that he stopped everything else. And he feels that same thing, church, for you and me. He wants you to know how he feels about you personally. And he'll stop everything to say that to you if you'll receive it. This woman experiences that in this moment. He says, your faith is healed. You go in peace. The whole point of his stopping was for her, for not just the healing of her body, that had already happened, but for the healing of her spirit, for the healing of her soul. And then it, it gets tough because the scripture says that while Jesus was still speaking, Someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and he said, your daughter's dead. It's too late. 
didn't make it in time. She's gone beyond anyone's ability to help her. What you feared most has happened. Your daughter is dead. We don't know how far away Jairus' house was. Maybe it was a block. Maybe it was two doors down. Maybe it was a couple of blocks. But Jesus was that close. And then she died. Imagine what was going through Jairus' heart now. Why did you stop? Why did you delay? Why, why did you obsess over this woman in the crowd? There's so many of them, and my daughter is dead. And the messenger said, don't bother the teacher anymore. What an awful moment. The father had dared to hope, and now his hope felt like a cruel joke. Why did Jesus stop? Why didn't he hurry? Why the delay? Lots of us feel like that. Lots of us live like that. Can I confess to you on a less serious note that I'm often the most impatient person in the world, right? I take the dog out to go potty and I tap my foot the whole time. Come on, dog, go potty. Hurry up, right? Matter of fact, it's kind of become a joke in our house that the word hurry, our dog has come to understand as meaning potty. <laughs> so, so if you're like going down the sidewalk, you say, Ellie, hurry, she'll stop and potty. <laughs> she, she thinks that would, why? and I think I did that to her, right? But, but, but we, we live as if we're constantly afraid of what we're going to lose if we don't hurry. And, and for this man in this moment, of course, it's not funny. He's thinking, God, you didn't come fast enough. You didn't hurry when I needed you to. And the pain of seemingly unanswered prayer is very great for people who believe. It's very great. I remember years ago when uh, uh, Ron and I were serving as youth pastors in the church that we were a part of, and uh, we also led the young marriage, and so we had a young marriage retreat, I don't know, 20, 25 of us, we went to the coast for a weekend to spend together in fellowship, and, and while we were there, you know, one day, it was a beautiful day, we decided we were going to build a human pyramid, you know how you do this, the bigger guys on the bottom, and then you stack them up into a pyramid, and you know, because Rhonda was the smallest, she's barely 100 pounds, if that, we, we decided she was going to go up on top, and so we got the pyramid built and put Rhonda all the way on the top. And you know what happened, right? Is that the pyramid started to get shaky and sway. <laughs> and then the pyramid collapsed. And Rhonda was at the, had just climbed to the very top of the pyramid when that happened. And, and so she had the farthest fall. And as she hurtled towards the ground, somehow I was oblivious and didn't even notice. And I should have caught her. I should have ran, but I don't even remember what happened, but I didn't. And she hit the ground like a sack of potatoes, if I can put it that way. And it hurt. Knocked the wind out of her. She was crying, and she looked at me, and she said, why didn't you catch me? I'm still trying to make up for that 40 years later. I just missed that one. And Jairus is feeling that. Jesus, you didn't come fast enough. Jesus, you weren't there. Why did you stop? Why did you delay? Why did you pause? In this moment, Dad is feeling like his faith failed, like God failed. Like, what was the point of praying in the first place? If only Jesus had hurried more, got there sooner. But there's two things he's forgetting this morning, church. And the first one I say tenderly, gently, but firmly. And that's this. He's... He's forgetting his sins. He's forgetting 
that what he deserves, just like what I deserve and you deserve, is eternal separation from God. Nobody owes us anything. If we think God owes us something, it's because we've never really come to grips with our sinfulness. The great theologian R.C. Sproul said brilliantly, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, that's only happened once, and he volunteered. And th this man has forgotten that in this moment. Sometimes I'm tempted to forget that, that Jesus went to the cross for my sins, that what he paid for was my unrighteousness. And this man has lost touch with that in this moment. But that's, that's not the main thing this morning. The second thing he's forgetting is that the world is bigger than his story. Can I just say that again? What God is doing in the world is bigger than my story, and it's bigger than your story. It touches a lot of other lives. I love what Charles Barkley said a few years ago. He said, you just remember, whatever you achieve or accomplish in life, a billion Chinese don't care. And we could add to that a billion and a half Indians and another 750,000 Indonesians. I mean, we are not the center of the world. Sometimes we live as if our country is. Sometimes we live as if I, uh, you and me are, we are. But no, 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 we are not the center of the world by a long stretch. When we think we are, then we can disconnect from the fact that God's working in the lives of other people too. He paused because this woman mattered. He paused because her soul was just as important as the healing of Jairus' daughter's body. Church, here's what I want to grasp. Sometimes God asks us to endure things, to wait, to go on hold because of what he's doing in somebody else's life. Sometimes God delays the answer to my prayers, delays the answer to my prayers because he's busy doing something else and because in that interplay between everything that he's doing with everyone, he asks of me to wait. James Harrison has been asked by the Australian government to donate blood every single week for more than 60 years. Why? Well, his blood uniquely has a specific antibody from which a medicine can be manufactured that deals with a birth uh, health problem that is endemic to Australia, especially among the natives of Australia. I don't I'll understand all this, but what it boils down to is if the father has rhesus-positive blood and the mother has rhesus-negative blood, then in the pregnancy, it can cost the life of the child. But more than 60 years ago, pharmaceutical company came up with a solution that depended on an antibody that only James Harrison's blood has. And if they get a regular donation of blood from him, they can manufacture this antibody. So every week for more than 60 years, James has gone and given blood. As a consequence, more than 2 million pregnancies have been saved over 60 years. Just think about that. And when he was asked how he felt about basically his entire life, being constrained to this weekly donation. Here's what he said. He said, you know, even though I was only 20 years old, when I understood what I had to give, I became willing. 
And God seeks that same attitude, that same spirit from us. From the age of 20 to the age of 81, James donated his blood for the sake of others. He put other parts of his life on hold. He was willing to wait. And God invites us to do that. When soldiers or truck drivers or police officers or others have to be away from their families in order to serve, they ask their families to bear with them for the sake of somebody else. And sometimes God does the same thing with us. Often God does the same thing with us. Now, let's turn into the home stretch here. When those people came and said, your daughter is dead, Jesus immediately steps into that moment. He immediately speaks into that moment. The Bible says that he spoke to the dad with a promise. He said, don't be afraid. Just believe. And she will be 